0: Buckeye Health Plan Medicaid is built around you. Offering medical, dental, and vision benefits with no copay. Members get free rides to health care visits, pharmacies, and social services. Buckeye rewards you for making healthy choices. You can earn $75 in rewards for well checks. Pregnant moms can earn up to $350 in rewards for taking steps to have a healthy baby.
1: Visit ChooseBuckeye.com for Medicaid built around you. We conquer cancer for the mom-to-be who is out of treatment options, for the doctor who has a brilliant idea but needs research funding, for the people who faced cancer head-on and climbed incredible heights while they were with us, for the children who celebrate the end of chemo. We conquer cancer for all who have been touched by it. Conquer Cancer accelerates breakthroughs in research and care for every cancer, every patient, everywhere. Join us at conquer.org.
2: Welcome to Mental Health Uncovered, a show dedicated to having candid everyday conversations about mental health. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Mental Health Uncovered. This is your host, Seth Showalter, and today I have Matthew Destefano, Matthew Destefano was the author of multiple books, including the wildly popular Heretic and From the Blood of Abel. I'm, I'm truly excited about this interview, partially because Matthew and I have worked together in previous podcasts in the past. He was a good friend of one of my former co-hosts of a podcast that I used to run called Mental Podcast, and I've interviewed him on multiple occasions through Mental Podcast as well as Fade to Gray. He is an audio engineer, the producer of Heretic Happy Hour podcast. He's the co-host of Apost- Apostates Anonymous and is a regular column- columnist for Patheos. He holds an undergraduate degree in education from California State University, Chico, and has been in social work for over a decade. So as a social worker myself... I'm definitely interested and feel like I have a lot in common with Matthew in that social work aspect. He currently works as a professional service coordinator in Boot County, California, and in addition to his professional life, Matthew enjoys gardening, bicycling, and European football. He is a huge Tolkien fan and one day hopes to live in Bag End with his wife and daughter. So perhaps we might even get into conversation about hobbits today. Matthew. How are you doing?
3: Good one can hope one can hope we can talk about hobbits today but yes I, I'm 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 well. How are you? It's been a while so I'm glad that uh, the universe has brought our you know brought us together once again to yes. talk over some microphones here.
2: Yes, I'm very thrilled
3: to have you and I'm
2: I am doing quite well. A lot has changed uh, since you and I have spoken my own personal life um, in regards to just employment and kind of what's been going on in my everyday life. But what today is all about you and it's all about
3: your story. So fill me in. What's been going on? Oh gosh, when 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 have we have we spoken during COVID?
2: Um, it's been a long time.
3: A lot I mean a lot has gone on. Uh, well we can kick it right off and talk about hobbits or just that I wrote a book about hobbits so I'm really excited about that and is it's that coming your newest? out in March. Yeah, yeah, it'll come out March 14th. Tell us about it well i mean it's it's like a practical look at you know tolkien's hobbits and their philosophies and their worldview, and they're kind of just applying the way they live their life into us being better versions of ourselves so it's real i mean it's a book about humans that uses hobbits as a model for how we can approach certain issues like how we treat each other how we how we look at ecology and things like that
2: well, I think that Tolkien was. Uh, definitely using um, hobbits as an allegory um, into human behavior to some degree. And well, he would
0: he
3: would be rolling in his grave if um, he heard that. If, if he heard you, yeah, he hated allegory. I, I, yeah, I would I would push back on on that. Like as a, as an allegory, um, what do you think it is?
2: What's a better word?
3: I mean, he's taking shared experiences and kind of. I mean, he's he's taking his experiences and bringing it to the pages, but I don't I don't think it's suppo- I mean, he's creating a mythology, so I think he's having two types of two groups of people, you know, like agrarian, rural, pastoral England, you know, British people. Um, so there there is some there's some parallels there. I just don't I don't know if allegory would be the okay. correct word. I don't know, but either way.
2: Well, we don't, I don't, Um, I mean, I'm not suggesting I have the the best word or uh, phrase. I mean, perhaps I'm totally dead wrong on that. Um, I just think that we can look into his book, into his books, specifically The Fellowship of the Ring um, and The Similarian and find a lot of truth about human behavior.
3: Oh, sure. Yeah, I think
2: that's what I'm after.
3: Yeah, I think he's, in the in the best sense of the word, creating a mythology where truths are imbued throughout. You know, in the same way that, you know, Jewish people and Christian people have created mythologies. Mm-hmm. Christian listeners might cringe at the word, but...
2: Yeah, they can deal.
3: Yeah, I have no problem with the word mythology. I think mythology... I think most of our truths are found in mythology.
2: Okay. Well, yeah. part of this relaunched podcast is all about getting people's stories and essentially how they got to where they are, and looking at some of the mental health struggles that the individuals face as they went through that journey. So as we get this started, you've accomplished a lot, both in the podcasting world as well in the books that you've published. I mean, you have a very impressive resume, and, and it's one of the reasons why I've always kind of liked to have you somewhat in in my circle, just because I feel like you have a lot of influence, and I think that you have a lot of experience. So can you tell me a little bit about your story? How did this all get started?
3: I was going to make a joke about putting my resume up against Barack Obama's, but I'll <laughs> leave that for Herschel Walker. Well, you know, <laughs> you can go there. I Well, I mean... Well, thank you for the kind words. I, I don't know. I don't. It doesn't feel like I have as much influence as <laughs> – and, and I don't even know if I want influence. But I mean, you as a writer and podcaster, and now I own a publishing company, good God, um, you're going to have some sort of influence. But I, I never intended it to be that way. Like when I, I was raised evangelical, I was brought up in a conservative home. And when I challenged those notions, right, like you don't think, oh, I'm going to go write books and – and really create a stir in people. Um, you're just asking questions, and I mean, it just came from a place of curiosity. I, I was, I was a Christian, but I was really curious about the world. So when they told me it was ten thousand years old, and then I was curious about science, I said, "I don't think that's correct," <laughs> right? Or when they told me like, it's sinful to be gay. And it's like, but I have a lot of gay friends. And they're like, just like the rest of us. So I don't, what are you talking about? Like, it doesn't line up with my experiences, right? And I'm a curious person. So I have to challenge those things. And so I did. And, you know, for anyone who has done that in a church setting, it's it's generally frowned upon. I mean, I know there are churches who embrace those questions, but mine was not one of them. So you eventually just kind of in a sort of like almost prophetic way, when they say you're going to backslide, you do kind of slide on out of church, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You start challenging this belief, which leads to challenging that belief. And by the end of it, you know, you're you're down that slippery slope and then your friends aren't your friends any longer. And there comes a point where you're just like, all right, well, I guess this is where I'm at now. Like, I guess I'm talking about these things and I guess – you know, I want to write about these things. And I guess I want to talk about these things over podcasts and interviews. And it just kind of, it does, it does kind of snowball. It is, <laughs> they are, they are correct. It is a slippery slope. And it was for me, slippery slope, like kind of out of Christianity even into a place where I'm, I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm saying like I'm guiding people through that process, but I'm standing alongside them with the, in the process and saying, well, this is what happened to me. So if it resonates, cool.
2: So and I, I don't know how you feel about this, but what do you think of the word deconstruction?
3: I think it's a perfectly fine word. I mean, it started, you know, the, the word was used by Jacques Derrida, a philosopher, and, and you know, the the one-sentence definition of what it meant then was kind of like, we need to have a unity of meaning over the words we're saying, mm-hmm. a unity of text. A um, You know, when we say these things, person A and person B, we need to understand what they mean for each other so that we can actually communicate. And kind of in the spirit of the word deconstruction, now deconstruction has come to mean like I challenged my faith and now I'm an atheist or I'm post-Christian or whatever. I mean, that's super reductive. I understand. Right. Um, but right. it kind of means like tearing everything down and then people are like, oh, well then you reconstruct something in its stead. And I think in a very rigid way, sure, that's kind of what it means. But I think the word is, I mean, much more fluid than than that. I think that really it's all I – mean, we're always deconstructing and reconstructing meaning and what things mean to us now even if we don't use those terms. Right. So, so I mean, I have, I have problems with it if people use it in a binary way. But if people use it as like an overarching like – you know, the process through which you're always challenging your presuppositions. I'm, I'm fine. That's what it means to me now.
2: Right. When it sounds like you went through that process, whatever we want to call it, but some type of deconstruction started questioning the foundation of, of things. Um, why mm-hmm. do I believe what I believe? Why do, mm-hmm. why do people act the way that they act based upon this biblical text? You started asking those questions and where did that lead you
3: well for a while it led me to a- atheism yeah and and in a way that that's good and i'm not saying like it's bad to be an atheist i'm just saying for me like it it was an atheist an atheism to the god that i knew right the only god i knew could be real Uh So, in that sense, like, I'm still an atheist to that god. It was the god of wrath. It was the god who, like, believes everyone is equal, but some are more equal, kind of like that animal farm quote. Uh, So, gay people are a little less equal, and people who are going to hell are certainly less equal. Muslims are a little – you know, so it's like that god, that god that many of us grew up with, the one who has, like, an eternal torture chamber. Yeah, I was 100% atheist to that god. But, you know, again, I'm curious. So, then – I look at other theologies and other faiths and find out that there's like, you know, I mean, there's, there's a progressive version of Christianity. There's a very conservative version of Christianity. And then outside of Christianity, there's all sorts of faiths that don't talk about God in that way, or don't even talk about God per se, like in Buddhism, like the concept of God is not really that emphasized at all. Um, So then it's like, okay, well, where can I go from there? Like, seems like these other faiths and other traditions and other spiritual people have viewpoints that sound great. So let me be curious about that and look into that. So then it goes into like this it does sort of pat you know have this path of like I've deconstructed something and then I put some I did build something in its stead. But it doesn't have to be that, and it's not like a linear thing. It's kind of like you know, Michelle points out like that. It's kind of like the grief cycle, so it's uh-huh. not linear. It's kind of you bounce all over, and you're all over that thing for a while, um, in different different days, sometimes different hours. So it's kind of like that, and that's why I say like you're constantly deconstructing and reconstructing all at the same time. So it yeah, it led me to believe like I would consider myself post Christian now because I don't think in Christian terms. Uh-huh. I think Jesus is a phenomenal mystical teacher. I don't have a problem with there being no difference between Jesus and and someone like Buddha. I don't think they would dis. I think they would disagree a lot less than, let's say, Jesus and a fundamentalist Christian. Whoa, I mean, don't you think? Like, I do. don't you think you could sit around the table I... and Buddha and Richard Rohr and Teresa of Avila and Jesus Christ would have much more to say to each other than Jesus and Greg Locke and the Westboro Baptist Church and Franklin oh, Graham.
2: Yes oh 100%. However, that's yeah. a controversial statement when you first say it on the on the outset. Yeah, but yes, I would agree. So it sounds like your journey has really involved this this process of really asking questions, reevaluating and coming back and forth and then resolving some of your own conclusions. And how long? And again, you just shared that you're never really arrived, that it's something mm-hmm. that you're continually doing. So I'm yeah. when I say like how long did this take you? I mean, obviously it's going to continue to happen. But you know, tell me tell me the process. How did you Yeah you know,:
3: Yeah, So, what's the um, timeline here. I mean, like if I expanded it way out, I would say like I had questions about hell and Satan when I was a little kid. like those questions like like I, I, I had like philis- like when I look back at it, like deeply philosophical questions as like a seven, eight-year-old, nine-year-old mm hmm but those are pushed under the rug until your twenties. Until you, you know, you went to university, you graduate, you're on your own, you're an adult. Then you start really thinking for yourself. When you don't, you know, you don't live with your parents anymore; they don't influence you in the same way, you know. So in my mid twenties, uh, I start asking the, the church these questions. Uh, move away, come back, and then we start attending church again. In my like, maybe I was twenty. I don't know, seven, twenty eight, twenty nine. So this is like 10 years ago, 11 years ago, start asking the questions and it builds and builds until, you know, in my early thirties, then I'm, then I'm asked to leave church and start writing and, and start sharing my thoughts publicly on a blog. And, and then it goes from there. And then my first book is published in 2015. So yeah, I'd, I'd say I've I'd been at it a decade, but it really kind of culminated maybe like eight years ago. Eight years. Okay. When, when, yeah, when, when, when the republic hurts, when the church is talking about you, when your family is talking about you behind your back, that's, you know, the questions before were like more like, you know, if I would ask them at a Bible study or I would ask them in a like kind of benign way and not share my thoughts, just ask questions about like, hey, are we sure that God was cool with people using slaves in the Bible? Like <laughs> You know, you know this question's like that like everyone kind of asked those questions but then i wasn't you know but then when the the answers didn't satisfy and i really start asking questions yeah about 8 years ago okay 8 9 years ago yeah okay so it sounds like so that. i've been, i've been added a, i've been added a hot minute you know Yeah.
2: well it sounds like it's dominated your thought process and it's dominated your life to a very large degree i mean you've written how many books on religion and religious deconstruction I mean
3: it's like nine I think yeah my 10th book the wisdom of hobbits will be my 10th full book I've you know I've published other things too but yeah
2: yeah so I mean see what I mean Ten bucks and yeah. oh, and also I've I've published some other things as well. Like no big deal, to humble brag. Uh, just 10, no, I'm not trying to humble brag. I actually as well. Yeah,
3: maybe it was a humble brag, and I I need to check myself because in one of my books I say that being a hum- humble bragging is a form of being a dick. So don't oh do that.
2: no no I I think it's I think it's granted <laughs> in this situation. Had okay. I have I been able to have I had I been able to publish ten books, I'd be feeling the same way. So but I want to also touch base on some of the mental health aspects, right? Because mm. this is a mental yeah. health podcast and sure. it sounds like as you've gone through this, this has probably rocked some of the, some of your foundation in regards to your own self-esteem and you even have mentioned you know, some of the impact that this has had on relationships in your personal yeah. life. And I, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you're also a social worker. So kind of fill me in, On some of the mental health aspects here,
3: Uh, yeah, it's it's the one thing. Like, was it David Hayward? You know, the Naked Pastor. He goes by that as his artist name. Said something about like, uh, I'm gonna butcher the quote. It was like the only right way to deconstruct is your way. Mm -hmm. So every deconstruction journey is unique in that person. But I think the one thing that is common throughout it is the mental health aspect. Is the how does it affect your life in the in the here and now? How does it affect your relationships? How does it affect your self esteem? Does it does it give you anxiety, depression, you know, uh, symptoms of PTSD? Even when when you talk about religious trauma, people who have all that and and so that's that's the one thing you know Michelle and I talk about in one of the books that that we wrote together is the mental health aspect of it, and and it's man, it's, it's it's it's. it, it becomes such a part of your journey that you don't, you, you've always got to be dealing with these things. You know, there a funny, like a meme about like, why does everyone who leaves a church all of a sudden see a therapist? It's like, because we realized that we were, can I cuss a little fucked up here? Um, you know what Just I mean? Like, because, because we realized like we need it now. Right. So it, it's mm-hmm. become like the mental health part of it is something we've been thinking about. I've been thinking about for a long time. Like, how do we deal with the underlying anxiety that our theologies gave us? And, and, and then not to mention loss of family, loss of community. Um, so the ones I deal with are anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've, I've not been diagnosed with that. I just know it's like this. It's not, it's not heavy. I don't take, I don't have to take medications. Uh, some people do. And I'm like hundred percent all four medications are great, but I, I just don't. So, but I, I've learned to deal with like, but it's, it's such hard work. That's the hard work. I think the theological, the stuff that I've talked about in books, the philosophical, it's hard, but the real work is what comes next, the mental health aspect of the deconstruction and the loss of community and the loss of family. And that's where it's like, part of my social work is non-clinical. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I tell people all the time, whether it's religious stuff or whether it's my work, uh, working with, you know, elderly and disabled, like- If you have any of these things, see a therapist, like find a good therapist, talk to someone, you know, if you need medications, talk to someone who can prescribe you medications, go, go seek that help because this country, like, obviously we have a mental health crisis. Yes. And, and we need to, and a part of it I think is destigmatizing it. In the church, we stigmatize mental health. Oh, just go talk to a, go talk to a pastor. And then we would poo-poo like actual licensed therapists, right? One hundred percent. And it's like a part. of – No, a part of the deconstruction is like unraveling those th- that stigma of, oh, you're on anti-anxiety medication or you're on antidepressants or you see a therapist. No, we need to destigmatize all that.
2: So I 100% agree, and really, that's the the goal behind my show is destigmatization, mm-hmm. and one of the ways that I'm doing that is through the sharing of story. So you mentioned depression and anxiety. Not to the severity that you feel like you need to be on medication, but that, hey, these things are impacting me. Can we talk about the depression first? How has sure. depression played out in your life?
3: Well, I think a lot of my depression has, has to do with like existential crisis questions. Mm -hmm. like climate change like (laughs) climate change is real like okay so there's a real cause and effect here so that that sort of like when i talk about my depression it's more like a it's a it's a it's a type of melancholy okay and it's it's but it's but it's really related to like so i stay busy i try to stay busy (laughs) you know and and think about like the work that i'm doing like you you can't you can't solve climate change i have to like tell myself that all the time but you, you all you could do is your one little part. There's 8 billion of us now. So all you can do is that you're one little part. And just if you, st- I think if you stay focused on that, it helps, it helps with that. Like not having that sort of existential depression that I yeah. get from that. Yeah.
2: I think one of the more challenging things, at least I've found in my own life, but I think a lot of people struggle with is focusing on what is in your control and mm-hmm. letting go of what is not in your control. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. we want so much to control all of the circumstances and all of the things Mm -hmm. like, for example, climate change. Well, we can't right? Right. like these are bigger systemic issues, but I do have some control over how I act in my own personal life Mm -hmm. and capitalizing on that control, Mm -hmm. but letting go of the other. Tell me about tell me about your anxiety.
3: So, yeah, my anxiety, I think I have, like, control issues on -hmm. some things. Like, I'd like things to be organized in the way that I want to organize them. And so, when I can't do that, I get really anxious about it. So, I I think, you know, all the great spiritual traditions, Richard Rohr points this out, is about letting go. And you just mentioned that. Mm -hmm. And so, I've been trying to have these, like reminders in my head they're not necessarily mantras i don't say actual but they're just reminders in my head that like i don't need to control the situation because it's really i just started to think of it practically like in two days i'm not going to remember this moment so why do i need control of it right now you know what i mean like it's not it's literally not going to affect anything and so i found that when my when i'm able to do that then the anxiety goes down because i don't have to be i don't have anything to be anxiety anxious over right because i don't i don't need that to be you know controlled I, I mean, i'm not saying i'm good at this this well, is the this is the theory right <laughs> the practical sense is like i will reorganize shit in my office until it's mm-hmm. just perfect and and i don't know why i'm doing it because it literally you know i i live with two dogs and a wonderful wife and a 12 and a year old daughter who's gonna it things are gonna not be organized the way i i, I control, think i need them Matthew. yeah totally. oh yeah it's totally control issues it's control yeah it gives you but some I, I sense mean, of control yeah, over your surroundings, so, but that's pretty benign. I think that's okay. Yeah, like as it long is. as you're not trying to control people in like big situations, and I don't have control. I, I, my control issues are reserved to like the desk and my bookshelf, and I think I'm okay with that because I, you know, I could be talk a toxic man who controls people, and I don't, I don't, I don't do that. So I think we're good. Right.
2: There. Right. Is it helping? <laughs> Is is managing the control of your personal space is that making a difference in your overall perspective on life and anxiety?
3: I think I think it, when it's so managed to something like I can or like I have my own space in my house now is my home office and mm-hmm. I, when I can control I do get to con, kind of control that environment except for my daughter's laundry is on the floor behind me and that's okay. Um, she just got to put it away. We'll get there. We'll get there. Small uh, steps. I think, no, I think it actually does has a have a positive effect because when I, like I like to have a nice space when I work and it uh-huh. helps me be more creative and helps me produce something better. So if I have, you know, if I have a, can, a certain candle lit that has a certain smell or you have certain music that you write to or edit to uh, in your space, I think for me, when my space is the way I like it, I produce really good work. If it's chaotic and I'm writing at Starbucks or something, I don't do that. So I don't, so I don't end up in those places because I, so I, I when you do manage if it, but it has to be really managed and really contained. I don't want my control issues to go out there. Yeah, gotta in keep, the big it space. Yeah, keep it localized. Yeah, it, exactly. Localized is it, a good word.
2: Yeah, keep it, keep yeah. it in, keep it in in your in your
3: sphere. There you go.
2: Okay, I get that.
3: Otherwise, it starts to drive people nuts. You know what I mean?
2: You know, gotta gotta manage. <laughs> and manage what you can. Yeah. Well, what have you found? What I think my next question—I think you just answered—but it's like, what have you done to help? And what you're doing to help is focusing on what's in your immediate control. And I think that that's critical. I think that's a really important skill to have. How has your process with writing helped with any of this? Has writing been a useful tool for you?
3: Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like I have a very busy mind. Like Uh you don't want, you don't want a lengthy vacation in my mind. It's a quick weekend trip because you got to get you got to get out. It's very busy, so I have to. That really keeps me busy. It keeps my focus on something. Like when I was writing this, the wisdom of Hobbits. Like everything I thought about was Tolkien, and Uh Tolkien's Legendarium, and remembering where you know. Okay, this quote was here in, in you know Fellowship, and this was in chapter two you know so it was very focused on that for months and months and months and then this choir takeover that it really helps me to to stay focused on something writing has been well i view writing as a as like a journaling right, right. and that's helped throughout the years like my books you could see that there's a process in me and i'm cool with that mhm so that has been kind of an, a, an outlet for me to share myself and that helps with anxiety, depression and, and all that kind of stuff. Lately, it's been just, you know, it's been less writing. Even though, I mean, except for the Wisdom of Hobbits, but other than that, it's been like publishing other people's stuff, which helps me. It, it's working my mind in a different way. Sure. And just, yeah, I have to stay busy. That's what, Otherwise, then the, the anxiety, the depression, the existential, like, what about climate change? <laughs> starts popping in my head. So, you know, to push it out, I have to fill it with other stuff.
2: Other stuff. Got to keep, got to keep that mind busy. You got to. So you've now mentioned this twice, and I have people that are listening to my show from all over the world that don't know you, that don't know Choir, so they're probably like, "What in the world is Matthew talking about?" Because I didn't really allude to it very much at all. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit about Choir? What's going on there? The steps that you've taken, the recent position you've taken, like what's happening there?
3: Yeah, it's been interesting but super super fun uh, choir started 7 years ago by Rafael Palindo uh, as just a tiny one man operation boutique publishing company
1: uh-huh. uh,
3: where he was basically publishing some of his friends and other uh, you know people that he's ran into and wanted to produce for them a very nice looking book and then it grew beyond his capacity to put the time and effort into you know, what it needed and what he knew it deserved. So he asked Keith Giles and myself to take it over. And so that's been the last six months of my life is the process of taking it over.
2: Um, Two of you together. That's one dangerous duo.
3: It's wild, man. No, it works (laughs) out really good because he's really good at marketing and thinking in that way and knows everybody. And I'm like, I don't want to do any of that. I'm, I'm really, you know, My brain is analytical in a lot of ways, so I'm really good at like, okay, let's do, this is our budget, this is what we're going to do here, and then like also, you know, producing a book and designing books. Right. So, I'm like, I make the books, Keith, you sell the books, and then we'll do well. Okay. So, it, yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a publishing company that is started as mainly like in the deconstruction space, you know, like, what do we believe about God now that we don't think that God is Zeus or something? Mm Mm-hmm. But, it, but we're trying to branch out. We're doing children's. We've got children's books coming out. We have more fiction. We have some partnerships with other big, you know, kind of entities. We have a podcast network. Like, we're trying to, I mean, taking over the world. Remind,
2: you have a Remind. podcast Beep. network? Because remember, I, yeah. tried, I tried that back in the day and it did not go well. So you have a podcast well, network?
3: I hope our experience. I hope our experiences is better than yours. Well,
2: I'm 100% positive it will be. Uh, You're (laughs) professionals. We were not. (laughs) So, big difference. But tell me about the podcast network.
3: Yeah, so we have, you know, Heretic Happy Hour, which I've moved to a production role and I'm not a host any longer. Okay. Um, So, I'm producing that show and then Keith and I do Apostates Anonymous and then we have three others. We have uh, the Messy Spirituality Podcast, This Is Not Church, and Ideas Digest, which are out of Australia.
2: Okay, I didn't realize this is not church. I follow him on on uh,
3: TikTok. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Both uh yeah, the John and Nat Tur- Turney duo, and then Messy Spirituality yeah. is Jason Elam, Lola Robbins, Kyle Butler. Yeah, those three. Okay, three? Yeah, three.
2: Okay. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. How's that? Very exciting. So, how's it going? Like with the network and like launching that and getting that up and doing all that stuff. That's a lot of work. It's been
3: yeah, it's been good. I mean, like, we're, it, we're just doing it as like a kind of a marketing network. We're not trying to control content or manage it too much. It's like all the podcasts are already self kind of sufficient. It's just kind of like, let's get our listenership. You know, whoever listens to this show, listen to this show. And then so it's you know, okay. kind of boost each other's listenership. Okay. So, I mean, you and I can talk. Yeah. we We got to run it by the team.
2: Yeah, well, but I'm a mental health show, so you have to keep that in mind too. Yeah, um, but I well, would we're be.
3: we're we're trying to diversify choir as much as possible. Like, okay, um, not that Raphael wasn't. We're just kind of carrying on what he started sure. because it was diverse. I mean, we've you know, Mark Harris has published two books with choir. He's a you know he's a therapist. Um, Michelle and mm-hmm. I, Michelle's published two books now, and and she's in that you know getting her doctorate and. Whatever the fuck she's doing, everything at the same time. Right,
2: I'm so incredibly <laughs> proud of her. Which by the way, for listeners who have just heard Michelle's name, I want to really quick talk. Um, we're talking about Michelle Collins. She is actually my former co-host of a previous uh, my former podcast, which was called Mental Podcast. You can find it; it's on a different feed. But um, she's my former co-host, and she is incredible. She's written several books. And I think she's incredible. Would you agree? I think I think so.
3: I I would tend to agree. Um, for, no, I'm just kidding. Yes, of yeah, course I I was going to say.
2: Be really careful. <laughs> be really careful,
3: Matthew. No, Michelle knows I like to bust chops. No, Michelle's yeah. one of my closest friends. She came to my when she lived out here in California. She came to my first book release in 2015. Uh, and we didn't really know each other that well. So it's been going on eight years now. Oh, and wow. she's become one of my best friends. So, yeah. Never. But no, I would never I would never talk tra- trash about her in real because, like, she will probably choke me out. For real. Also to note, but I think, Michelle I think I is I a keep, bodybuilder. I, yeah, she's a bodybuilder. <laughs> but I got long arms, dude. I mean, I think I could keep her with the jab <laughs> away for a while. I could keep her at bay. The third and then round? In the third round, she might, okay. she might come in with the uppercut. Okay.
2: Belt. I'd like to see. I'd like to see that battle, <laughs> if you
3: don't mind. That's fair. Right.
2: I would truly like to watch that.
3: Yeah, I would, I would just, just pull guard and try to defend the whole time.
2: <laughs> well, no, I mean just run in a circle. <laughs>
3: no, you don't want to run.
2: No, oh, it's just you know. What if, she, if she catches defense.
3: you, oh
2: <sighs> yeah. Well, yeah, you're gonna is, tire out though. It is a lot of cardio. It's a lot of cardio. I would lose. I'm not suggesting <laughs> I would ever win against Michelle. But if people okay, okay yeah yeah a fair, I, pretty, a fair assessment of yourself pretty is in touch is good. with that when it comes to when it comes to her But if people good. want to find out more about you, if they want to find out more about choir, if they want to find out more about your books, I mean I'm assuming they just go to Amazon and Google your name but tell us how, to, how can people you know promote yourself, how can people get a hold of you?
3: Uh, I think the best way for myself, my website is allsetfree.com, and you, there are links to all my social media there. Um, so I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I guess I'm technically still on Twitter, though I don't. I I currently, for reasons that I don't have to probably mention, I currently don't do much on Twitter. And I am on TikTok, um, although my daughter takes over half of my stuff on TikTok. so. Uh, but if you link through all set free there, that that's where all my links are. And then uh, choir and it's q u o i r, choir dot com is our website, and it's it's under construction at the moment. But I think it's still up, but we're just okay. building a new one.
2: Well, that's exciting.
3: Yeah. Super exciting. Oh, exciting things. Doing we're doing, doing big things, big man. Things. Big things.
2: Well, I personally yeah,
3: I'm all about that yacht. I want a yacht, Seth. I want a huge house in the hills.
2: I wish you the best of luck on that endeavor.
3: (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, I want to, I want to sell great books and that's what we do. We have great Mm -hmm. authors. Well, you've got great authors. Like all of our authors and all of our podcasters are fantastic. It's not just, it's it's just not, it's not just authors. We got a lot of people involved and they are fantastic.
2: So I think that you've done pretty well for yourself um, in the end. Um, and, Everyone, please feel free to go check out Matthew's material. Um, buy some of his books um, for real. This man has like made it to, you know, like Amazon, like you hit the bestseller stuff all the time. What well, do they call that on Amazon? Yeah, you can get you like a, a bestseller. bestseller
3: in your category or uh, yeah, I do that a lot. you know, it lasts for like 10, 10 seconds, but, yeah. you know, it, it's like I, I have, well, a couple, you know, every, every now and then. You'll last for like a week up there, and you'll pass C.S. Lewis or something. And then my daughter always reminds me, yeah, he he, he, he this book came out like eighty years ago, dude. Like, relax, I'm like just give me my fifteen minutes. Just give me fifteen minutes of fame.
2: Well, I mean, passing up C.S. Lewis is is just, a moment yeah. of, but the,
3: your kids are there to keep you humble. That's what they're there for, especially like about to right. be a teenage girl. Like, she'll keep you humble real quick. <laughs> oh, I believe it
2: yeah. I believe it. it's why I don't have kids um, but everybody please go check out Matthew's material check out his website he is a great resource to have um, there's tons of material for you to check out and with that I want to thank you for listening have a wonderful day thanks for listening I hope you enjoyed this episode Please remember that Mental Health Uncovered does not provide any type of therapeutic, clinical, psychiatric, or medical advice, and is intended for entertainment purposes only. If you need such care, I encourage you to find such a professional in your community. You can locate and access your local crisis line by calling 988. Thanks again for listening.
1: We conquer cancer for the mom-to-be who is out of treatment options, for the doctor who has a brilliant idea but needs research funding, for the people who faced cancer head-on and climbed incredible heights while they were with us, for the children who celebrate the end of chemo. We conquer cancer for all who have been touched by it. Conquer Cancer accelerates breakthroughs in research and care for every cancer, every patient, everywhere. Join us at conquer.org.